As we begin our time together today and uh, the next message in this Summer Mixtape series, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think you are? Now, often if you've ever been asked that by someone, it was probably done in sort of an antagonistic way. Uh, someone who's kind of you know saying, who do you think you are to challenge me or to question me or something like that? It's not one of those questions we usually ask each other out of the goodness of our hearts. Uh, for example, I know that whenever my children hear me ask them that question, it's usually not done out of the goodness of my heart. It's in response to some kind of uh, backtalk or difficult situation that we're in. But the reason that I ask you that question today is because the truth is, often who we think we are is exactly who we turn out to be. In the book, The Purpose Driven Life, the author Rick Warren writes these words. He says, the way you see your life shapes your life. And so maybe we should ask the question again today. Maybe I should ask you the question again today, but I shouldn't say, who do you think you are? I should say, how do you see yourself? How do you see your life? Are you, are you happy with your life? Are, are you a, uh, do you think your life is successful? Do you view your life as, as good uh, quality? You know, are you frustrated with your life? You know, do you see yourself as, as a failure in some way? Do you see yourself as a hard worker? I mean, there are so many types of questions like this that we can ask ourselves. And, and honestly, I would say that the way that we see our lives, the way we see ourselves, it typically comes from one of two options. And they're not super extreme, but, you know, one's kind of over here and one's kind of over here. And, and I'll say it like this, you know, a lot of times we see ourselves based on our families. We'll say that's the one over here. I mean, I can remember for a large period of my life where I was seen, known, basically only as Chris Philbeck's son. Uh, maybe that's the way many of you still see me today, but, you know, growing up in northeastern Oklahoma in the same place that my dad grew up in, uh, not far from where he went to college, and then because of our church's involvement in the community there, whenever I met anyone, most of the time, it felt like at least, they would say before anything else, oh, you're Chris Philbeck's son. You know, I was known by my family. But sometimes we don't see ourselves based on our family. Sometimes we see ourselves based on our, our personal experiences, our skills, our talents, our achievements, you know, the things that we do. And we, we see ourselves more for what we do in that regard than necessarily who we are related to. And I think this is really popular in our culture. It's that idea that, you know, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to cut out my own path in this life. Well, whether we see ourselves based on our family ties or whether we see ourselves based on our, our personal accomplishments, what we're ultimately doing is we're carving out an identity for ourselves. And though we are going to talk about other things a little bit in our time together today, it's that idea of our identity that I'm really going to focus on. And it's an interesting thing because I, I believe... You know, I believe that far too many people, they don't really think about the things that make up their identity. They don't really, they don't really sit back and think about whether or not they identify, uh, you know, 
based on their family relationships or if it's based on their own personal accomplishments, you know, whether these things are good or bad or anywhere in between, they just kind of think, well, this is just the way that I am. This is just who I am. And what we're going to see in our text in just a moment and what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together is on one level, the fact that God wants us to experience a new identity. And it's not an identity that's based on whatever family we came from or an identity based on whatever skills or talents that we have. But at the same time, neither is it an identity that we kind of earn by following rules and, you know, always keeping our noses clean, the the things that we sort of stereotypically think of as a church-based identity. It's an identity that will change you, not just your behavior, but deep down, the inner being of of who you are as a person. I'm going to read our text to you today. It comes from Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And we're just going to really let the text kind of guide us together in our time today. So uh, Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, malice, rage, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and is in all. Now, as you can see, there are many things in this passage. The Apostle Paul writes about and covers a lot of different topics. But as I said, what we're going to really focus on is the new life, the new identity that we experience because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say that because when we truly experience the gospel, you know, deep down, into the, into the root of who we are, we will change so radically that, that the people around us, and honestly, even ourselves much of the time, we will seem like completely new, different people to them. And, you know, for some here, that might sound really appealing, depending on what struggles or difficulties or frustrations you're going through in life. The, the idea of a new life, a new identity, that might sound great. But for other people listening, you know, they might think, well, you know, I've put a lot of work and I've put a lot of effort into becoming the person that I am today. And, and I don't necessarily know that I, I want to just give it all up and become someone completely new. It doesn't sound that great. But when we let the gospel take a hold of our lives, we see that no matter what kind of life we've built for ourselves, no matter how good or bad it is, It is nothing 
compared to the life, to the new identity that God has for us and that God wants for us. Uh, In my NIV Bible, uh, the subject heading for the passage that I just read, it, it had the words above it, rules for holy living. And I'll be real honest with you today, I don't really like that title. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, I'll talk to you more about that in just a moment. Um, In other Bible translations that I have, uh, other translations, for example, like the the English Standard Version, which is the one that I use for my own personal study, the, the text above the passage, it doesn't say rules for holy living. It says, put on the new self. Put on the new self. Now, I want to pause for a moment and just, you know, remind everyone that these, these little title headings or whatever you want to call them, they're not scripture. You know, when people sit down and they, and they translate from uh, Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic into English, uh, these headings aren't there. They are just added after the fact to help us in our study. So on the one hand, we don't need to get, you know, that worked up about them. But at the same time, I think it's interesting the way that I see this section presented in my NIV Bible and the way that I see it presented in uh, my my ESV Bible, for example, uh, because I think that it highlights one of the biggest issues that we face as believers. Because on the one hand, and I'll say it like this, on the one hand, you know, what I read in my NIV Bible, it seems to say, basically, you want to be holy? Well, here are the rules that you need to follow. Here are the things you need to do in order to be holy. And on the other hand, with the ESV version, the title, it seems to say, put on this new life that I have for you. And when you do that, you will be holy. And you know, you might think that I'm splitting hairs when I say that, but I would say that the difference in understanding is is really pretty substantial. Because what Paul is writing about here, you know, it's not just a new way to live filled with new rules and different rules. Because make no mistake, no matter how we choose to live, there are rules that we have to follow in order to to, to be a certain way. He's not just talking about new rules or different rules. He's talking about a completely new life that changes not just what we do, but what we want and and how we feel and, and what we think. This is what God has for us. When we put on this new life, the passage tells us that we get three things. First, we get a new identity, which is what I'm going to be talking about pretty much the entire time together. We get a new identity. Then we get new behavior. And finally, we get a new community. And this is what we're going to be looking at today. So number one, wherever you are, if you want to take notes, you can write down a number one and you can just write this next to it. The new identity. The new identity. This is what we see in verses 1 through 4 of our text. And what Paul is doing in this section is he is describing the reality of what a new life, what a new identity actually looks like. And while there are a number of different things that Paul writes about in verses 1 through 4, there are two things that really stand out to me. And these are the only two things that I'm going to focus on in this first point. And the first one is the truth that essentially a new identity involves inside-out change. A new identity involves inside-out change because before we set our hands to work on anything, our behavior, we see that our hearts and our minds are captured 
They're captured by the love of God. In these four verses, we see Paul describing people who have new hearts and new minds. And and he does that, I believe, because when these things are made new, that is when we have a new identity. That is when we are made new. In the end of verse 1, we read, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, the truth is, whatever you set your heart on, that will control you. You will worship it. You will live for it. And it will become the source of your identity. And, you know, there are some really big and obvious examples uh, when it comes to this. You know, we see this in people who set their heart on a, a relationship or, or maybe not even a, a certain person, but just, you know, the idea of I'm going to set my heart on, I have to be married. I have to have a family. Or, or we see people who set their heart on a career. You know, I have to have this job or I have to make this much money. Those are really big, obvious examples. But the truth is it can really be anything. And what makes this difficult for so many people to deal with, and I will put myself on this list, is that this doesn't just become a problem for us when we set our hearts on sinful things. Because we don't always do that. You know, just to use those obvious examples again, you know, you want to have a family, you want to be married. That's not a bad thing. You want to have a good career, you want to be successful, provide for your family, make an impact in the community, be generous, all all of that. You know, none of those are are bad things. And you can even broaden it to say, you know, you want to change the way you live, overcome some kind of addiction, stop some kind of destructive behavior. None of these are bad things. The problem arises for us when we set our hearts on these things and then they become everything to us. They become supreme things. They become the only thing that matters. When I was younger, I played sports. Uh, When I was younger, I played basketball and baseball. When I got older, I stopped playing basketball and focused only on baseball. Um, When I got into high school in Oklahoma, I tried out for the team. I made the high school team in Oklahoma, and I was able to play there my freshman and my sophomore year. And then we moved here uh, my junior year, and I was still able to try out for the team here, and I made the team, and I was able to play for Center Grove my junior and my senior year. Uh, I, also, I also got to play baseball in the college I went to, uh, but going from trying out for the baseball team here at Center Grove to walking up and down the halls at Johnson Bible College looking for anyone that had ever played baseball just so that we could have enough people to field the team It was a little bit of a different experience. You know, I'm happy that I did it because I got to play baseball for four more years. Um, But it was just a little different. That's that's the nicest way that I can say it today. That's all I'll I'll really say about that. Uh, And the truth is I have a lot of great memories from playing baseball. But the truth also is I have a lot of really bad memories from playing baseball. And the reason for this is because, and I can see this now in a way that I could not see it at the time, is because when I was playing baseball, it was everything. It was everything to me. But here's the deal. Even saying it like that makes it sound better than it actually was because baseball was not everything to me. Winning. Winning was everything to me. That's all that I wanted to do. So at the end of the day, the scoreboard was the only thing that mattered. Now, don't 
don't mishear me. You know, there's nothing wrong with competitive sports. There's nothing wrong with keeping score, wanting to win, anything like that. But for me, because it was everything, it was how I defined myself. And so just to keep it simple today, this is how I'll say it. When my team won, I was a winner. When my team lost, I was a loser. My identity was wrapped up in this. And because of that, I never enjoyed it nearly as much as I could have or should have because it was the only thing that mattered to me. It wasn't a bad thing, but it was everything. And because of that, it was really difficult to enjoy it at times. And the reality is we all have things like this in our lives. And so you have to ask yourself today, and I have to ask myself, what are the supreme things? What are the supreme things in your life? What are the things that when they go wrong, it doesn't just make you unhappy, but it breaks you. You fall to pieces. Like I said, we all have these areas in our lives, areas where we have given too much weight to something. And we need to be aware of them. And this is crucial. I want you to listen to this. Not so that we can get rid of them, so that we can replace them. Not so that we can get rid of them, so that we can replace them. You can't just get rid of one of these things because something else will come in and fill that void. When it came to baseball, I couldn't just, you know, sit, uh, I don't know, I I couldn't just tell myself every day, I'm not going to care about this as much. I'm not going to wrap my identity up in this, you know, and just by the, the, the strength of my own willpower overcome that because something would come fill that void. If I didn't find my identity based in sports, I would have found it based in something else. And really what this leads to is the second thing that stands out to me from these first four verses. You know, the first one is that uh, a new identity is brought about by an inside-out change. And the second one is that that change is brought about by God. Now I want you to truly appreciate uh, what I just said because it sounds so basic. I know that it sounds like such a typical church answer that we all run the risk of just letting it, you know, go in one ear and out the other. You see, it's not that God gives you the ability to change your life. It's that God changes your life. And there is such a difference between those two to statements that sometimes we don't truly appreciate it. And we see this highlighted at the very beginning of our text when Paul writes, since then, you have been raised with Christ. What is he talking about here? He is talking about how the gospel changes our lives from the inside out. You see, when our new identity transforms us, it doesn't come from our own resolve. It doesn't come Uh, by the strength of our own willpower. It comes when we replace all of those ultimate things in our lives with Christ. We don't just get rid of them and then have empty space. We fill that space with Christ. Because the only way that we can have a new identity and have that identity change us from the inside out is to have a gospel identity. This is because what the gospel teaches is that God loves me God loves me, and when I put my trust in him and when I accept Jesus as my Savior, then he accepts me by the power of his grace. And because of that, I now have a new identity inside and out, and that leads me to new behavior in my life. 
And this is the second thing that we're going to talk about. The second thing that we see in this passage. Number two, it's the new behavior. The new behavior. Because, make no mistake, we will live differently. You will live differently once you have been changed by the gospel. But you have to see that that different behavior does not bring about a new identity. New A new identity is what brings about different behavior. It is crucial for us to understand that. I want to highlight this first and foremost from just a spiritual standpoint, from, from the standpoint of our relationship with God. Because if we try to change our behavior in order to have a right relationship with God, in order to become a new person and have that connection with God, then what we are doing, in effect, is trying to earn God's favor, trying to work for our salvation. And this is really dangerous, not just because we can't do it, but because when we live like this, we become really a big part of the problem. And this is why I say that. This is the way that the Pharisees lived. This is the way that the religious leaders during the time of Jesus lived. They were very moral people. They were very upright people. They they didn't break the rules. They lived very good lives. But at the same time, they were so far from God that they did not recognize him when he was standing right in front of them. I can remember one of my Bible college professors, I can't remember what class it was in, but basically talking about the fact that when you read other you know, historical accounts of what life in Israel was like during the time of Jesus and the apostles, the Pharisees are all spoken of in a very positive way. And it's kind of unique to the Bible where we see that you know they're not these great people that others think that they are. And it's not because they lived bad lives. They lived very moral, upright, good lives. But they tried to do it all on their own. They tried to do it all on their own. Ultimately, our behavior changes because the gospel changes us down to the root of who we are. It changes us down to the root of who we are. Let me try to give you uh, another example of what this looks like. One of the things that we talk a lot about here at Mount Pleasant is the fact that we are and that we always want to be a generous church. Uh, You know, we do change for a dollar each week where we try to show you, you know, very clearly how your generosity can make a massive impact in a person's life. And that's just one example. There are so many examples, you know, local things that we do and stuff all over the world that your generosity allows us to accomplish. Um... Well, there's this great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul is basically writing to the church in Corinth and he, he wants them to become generous people. He wants them to be a generous church. But it's how he goes about this that is really uh, intriguing to me because he doesn't just appeal to their willpower. He doesn't just write to them and say, be generous which is what I think, you know, we so often want to do to people. We want to do that in our own lives sometimes. Uh, you know, I can think just, just being a father and, and dealing with the difficulties of having small children that don't always get along, I'm definitely guilty of appealing to their willpower, which 
you know, when they're so young, it's such a foolish thing to do. But there are so many times when I come upon a fight or a conflict and I basically just look at them and say, be nice. Well, as great as that sounds, doesn't usually do a whole lot. So Paul doesn't just appeal to their willpower, but he also, he doesn't prey on their emotions either. And this is what I mean when I say that. He doesn't say, don't you feel bad? Don't you feel guilty having all of this money when there are people over here that have nothing? You know, how can you sleep at night? Don't you just feel awful? You should feel awful. You know, he, he doesn't say that. What he does is he goes down to the root he goes down to the root of the gospel by pointing to Jesus. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul doesn't point to all of the disposable income that the people at the church in Corinth have as motivation. But he also doesn't even point to all of the people in need as motivation. He takes them all the way back to Jesus. Because the truth is, all of us, all of us can be guilted or coerced or forced into giving something for someone else. But Paul doesn't want to do that. He wants them to be generous, which is a completely different mindset than being coerced into donating something. And it's, it's, it's not just a behavioral change, which is so unique. And so what he does is he points to the generosity of Christ. And when we see that, we are moved by his example. Moved by his example. And, and it's an example that we follow, not because we want to win favor with God, but because when our identity is found in him, then we want to do what he does. In verses 5 and 8 of our text, Paul, uh, along the same lines of behavioral change, you know, he, he talks about things that we need to stop doing. He actually names sins. In verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil deeds, or excuse me, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Then in verse 8, he says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. In verse 9, he also tells us to stop lying to each other. Now, I'm not going to go through each of these individually or anything like that. And I also want to recognize that there are probably other things not mentioned here that people struggle with or want to be rid of in their lives. And so in light of everything that we see in these verses and in light of our own personal struggles, we ask the question, how do we experience such sweeping change? How do we experience such sweeping change? We experience it by the power of the gospel. And I love it because he even uses this kind of language that, that points to a new identity as, the, as what is responsible for these changes in our lives. When he says in uh, the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10, he says, you know, stop doing all of these things. And he says, why should you stop doing them? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, since you have gotten rid of your old identity 
and you have put on your new self. That is your new identity. That is the gospel-centered identity. I heard something, I either heard it or read it years ago, um, and I'm saying it like this because even though I can't give credit where credit is due uh, for who this uh, said this or wrote this, I just at least want to make sure you know that it's not an original idea with me. Uh, but I heard a, a preacher talking once about how if we really want to change our lives, what we need to do is get to the sin that causes the sin. And you know, that sounded really strange to me the first time I heard it. Maybe it sounds strange to you today. But that thought came back to me this week because, you know, what I see in verses 5 and 8 of our text are all things that can be removed from our lives, not by the strength of our own willpower, but through embracing the gospel of Jesus and making him truly the center of our lives, making him truly the ultimate, the supreme thing that we uh, find ourselves wrapped up in. And listen, you know, I realize, I realize that even when we do that, we don't become perfect people. We will still sin. And please don't misunderstand me because I recognize that sin is always, always a big deal. But when Jesus, when the gospel is the center of our lives, then when we see these things flare up in our lives again, when we feel anger or lust or greed in our lives, we can confess them to God and then we can use them almost like we use a check engine light in our car. And we can ask ourselves, you know, why am I so angry? Why is this becoming a problem in my life today? And, and, and when you do that, if you, if you honestly do that, you know, you can trace things back to the problem and you can say, well, pride, my desire to be in control, my desire to have power has become an ultimate thing in my life again. And I need to change that. I need to replace that. Remember, not just remove it, but replace that. And this is crucial because the truth is, and I know that we've all experienced this, the truth is if we try to change our behavior based on our own strength, then what ultimately happens is that we are just stuck in a cycle of repeat, repeat, repeat over and over again because ultimately we're still the same person. We might be trying to live a different life. We might be trying to do different things but it's still that same person trying to do those things. It's not a new person. It's not a gospel-centered person. We haven't been changed inside out. And that's so important for us to understand. The final thing we see from this text, the final thing we get, number three, the new community. The new community. And there are two parts to this community, and both of them are extraordinary when we truly experience them and allow them to permeate our lives. Because the first thing that we get, the moment that we let the gospel message of Jesus change us inside and out, is a new community with God. New community with God. Listen to these words from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we get a new identity with Jesus, then we get new intimacy with God. When we get a new identity in Jesus, we get new intimacy with God. Because God looks at us 
And in a sense, he no longer sees us. Rather, he sees Jesus in us, and he delights in that, just as much as God the Father delights in his own Son. God experiences joy with us, as much joy as he does in the life and relationship that he has with Jesus. And this all happens when you place your trust in him, when you accept him as your Savior. And just like God experiences that joy when he sees us because of Jesus inside of our lives, as, as at, at the center of our lives, we also experience joy with God in a way that was, frankly, impossible before our new identity. But not only do we have a new community with God, we also have new community with each other. And this is the way Paul ends our passage. He says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Just as a new identity allows us to take off our old self, as Paul writes in our text, it also allows us to remove all of the barriers that separate people from one another. I mean, he writes this to the first century church where the idea of this type of community, the type of community just described in that one verse, in verse 11 of our text, would have frankly been startling because it ran counter to the way that they had lived their lives for generations. Generations. But in Jesus, in this new identity brought about by the gospel, there are no more racial, cultural, or social barriers. And listen, this is important because it's not that these things don't matter anymore. It's not that our culture or our background or our history or our family or our experiences or our preference, it's not that they don't matter any longer because they do. It's just that they're no longer ultimate things. They're no longer supreme things in our lives. And because of that, they don't separate us from each other anymore. They don't cause division the way that they once did. In fact, they help us to complement one another in a way that we can only experience once we put Jesus at the center of our lives. C.S. Lewis, he writes a little bit about this in his book, The Weight of Glory. At the end of the first chapter, he writes this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. And so he basically says we have two options immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I don't know if you were as moved by those words as I am, but I'll tell you right now that every time I read them, I feel like my eyes open up a little bit wider. Because, you know, he mentions these things, nations, cultures, arts, and entire civilizations. You know, all these things that people fight over and these things that people bleed and die for, things that we root our identity in, and he says that their life compared to ours is basically nothing. 
basically nothing. And yet we take them and we, we, we build them up and we make them supreme things in our lives. And then we wonder why we don't experience the community that God wants us to experience. Because we build up all of these things that separate us. Listen, it all begins with the gospel. There is no other way for us to experience a new identity that brings about lasting change in our lives and allows us to practice both community with God and each other apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is to say, this is the good news that Jesus came to the earth not to give you the strength and wisdom to live a good life, but to save you. To save you so that you could replace all of the ultimate things in your life and all of the things that you build your lives on, whether they are good or bad, and replace them with the one true hope of Jesus. You know, and if you're here today, if you're listening to this, and you say, you know, well, I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus. But you also have the self-awareness to say, but my life has not radically changed. You know, you're still tossed back and forth by the things of this world. When, when something bad happens in a certain area with your family or career, it still just, just it floors you and, and you fall to pieces because of that. Then I would say you need to be real honest with yourself and you need to spend some time looking at your life and asking, asking yourself honestly, how much have you truly grasped the gospel? And you can ask yourself, you know, where does my meaning and my hope and my self-worth and my identity really come from? And if the answer is anything but the gospel message of Jesus, then it's something that needs to be replaced. And listen, the reason that I feel like I can sit here and tell you that today is because I know this is something that I have to do in my life. And I'm not naive enough to think that everybody else has it figured out but me. I'm not naive enough to think that I'm the only one that has other things in my life that I've given too much weight to, too much importance to, outside of Jesus. You know, what we see in this passage is the reality that we will never truly understand ourselves, never truly understand our emotions, our struggles. Uh, We'll never truly be able to make any sort of lasting or stable changes in our lives unless, unless we understand our need for the gospel to permanently restructure our identity from the inside out. Pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the fact that you want to not just change our behavior, but you want to change us at the root of who we are. And I pray, God, that you would Allow us to see the things in our lives that we have given too much weight to, the things that we have built up as as everything, as ultimate things, as supreme things, and that we would pray earnestly, God, replace those things. Replace those things. And I pray, Lord, that we would all experience new identities and, and new behavior changes and new communities and that we would be completely different people, experiencing revival in our lives. Not because of the strength of our own will, 
but because we say, no, God, I need you. I need you at the center of everything that I am. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.